Welcome back to another episode of Zero Lift. You're here with Ryan, Lenny, no. and John. Whoa, Billy! Wow, you're real excited uh, today, John. I'm always excited, girl. Ain't you know That's me good. yet? Lenny, you're also excited to be here, it sounds like. I'm We're all ready to, to seize the day. Carpe diem, this bitch. Carpe. Use my language. Sometimes you got carpe uh... diem. <laughs> Yeah, we're all excited to be here. We're excited to have you listening to us talk about things. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about big breaks and do they lie, uh, cooking some rubber. And uh, Lenny is picking a quirky car today, of which that is the only sort of hint he could give us. Uh, otherwise, it gives it away. So we'll find out later if we can get you. My turn to out. stump you guys. It'll be exciting. So uh, that's what we're talking about on today's episode. Uh, John, what have you been up to uh, or going to do, I guess, uh, in car news? Yeah, uh, they're relating to, before we started, I told them. So I've had these new engine mounts for the GTR because I think I'm getting some flex based off reasons. Uh, so I bought some really new high-dollar, super stiff engine mounts for the Skyline, and I've been dreading putting them in. Even though I have a lift, I'm basically the most pampered uh, princess-like car mechanic that ever lived. But um, I... You know, I, I've i never tried doing engine mounts without some kind of, like, at least, like, a, like a what do you call it, like a bottle jack or, like, a stand or something like that. But I was going to get one, and they don't make them under, like, five feet tall. And my lift's only, like, a mid-rise scissor, and plus I got low-garage ceiling. So I can only actually get it up in the garage, like, two, maybe three feet. They don't make little, like, stands for that and i didn't want to buy one of those stupid like front wheel drive engine support cradles so i don't know how this motor mount job's gonna go i'm thinking i'm probably gonna like get it up in the air loosen everything and then lower it back down and use a jack with it like hovering over the ground to get the clearance out of the engine like i need you maybe macgyver uh something with the transmission jack do you have one of those i don't have a transmission jack Cause I, 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 I was debating it, but I don't. Um, I don't know if I swap I mean, transmissions enough to justify a jack, and I feel like if I ever really need to do a transmission job, that I'd rent one. Uh, right. And uh, usually, when I'm pulling a transmission, I'm pulling the engine too, and a lot of times. Well, can you take? I've never taken the engine out of a GTR. Can you do it in one piece, or you got to separate it? You can do it in one piece. Yeah, and usually, so I have a cherry picker, and so usually when I'm taking a transmission out, it's attached to the engine, so getting a jack mm-hmm. hasn't come up, but I never, I spent two hours looking for, you know those like stands that every time you've ever used a lift, that the garage has one that you like kind of spin, and like when you take the, that you like put it underneath an oil pan or an engine, it just kind of. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about, dude. They don't make those under four or five feet tall. They don't exist. It's kind of surprising. Yeah, it blew my mind. Weird. I thought I'd get like a two foot one or something like that and spin that baby up and hit the oil pan and just, you know, rock it enough and then set the tension and then pull the mount out. And when I couldn't find that, it made me dread this job much more. Especially with the whole uh, DIY sort of craze that was. It still is the last few years. I would figure, you know, somebody, some company would have solved that problem for somebody by now. I, you would think. But, you know. <laughs> you would we'll think. S- we'll see 
we'll see how it's gonna go that's all i got uh, good luck good that's luck. pretty uh <laughs> thank you, you might, we might be out uh both you guys be out gtrs here possibly see no sir happens no sir hopefully, uh, hopefully that goes no, well no news on the gtr front for me uh Though I do have some Lexus GX470 news. Oh. Well, or soon to be us? news. Uh, I've, I've decided that I'm only going to get off-road tires. And then I'm going to do a body mount chop. chop. Uh, I'm going to keep the stock suspension for now. So um, I think that's going to be the m- maximum of what I need for uh, what I've seen... And, you know, kind of experienced the GX's uh, capabilities thus far. Like, I've thrown a, a bunch of stuff. Like, I've thrown it through trails. I think Ken, one of our listeners and our good friend, uh, John, he'll attest to it. Like, I, I throw the GX around more than I do the, G- the GTR. So, uh, it's handled it pretty well. And I think I really only need off-road tires and a body mount shop to like, uh, take care of some clearance, some small clearance issues, going a little bit bigger in tire size. Uh, and then maybe some rock sliders, and that's it. It's going to be the off-road package. You know, as I've aged, when I was a, when I was younger, I would have this idea of what a car should be, and when I would get it, I would buy all these mods and do it. As I've aged, I've turned into do the damn thing, put it through the paces, fix deficiency areas, and I got to say, I commend your approach right now. Because you're like, hey, this stock suspension is doing what I need. I'm not going to mess with it. I I support that type of thinking. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I'm, I'm not like rock crawling it uh, through the toughest parts of the Rubicon. But I've put it through some parts of the Rubicon Trail. Like, you know, to be honest, the easier part of it. Like, yeah, the stock suspension was fine. I mean, I've, I've been threading along with it for more than a year now. And... You know, even the commuter tires that are on it, you know, aside from the obvious lack of grip in some areas um, where off-road tires would fix that, you know, it's it's taken everything in stride, and it's really impressive. Golf claps to you, sir. Very Thank cool. You. And I've... and on the rig front, sorry, yeah. on the rig front, it looks like uh, that's going well. Q4 is off to a good start, gentlemen. Excellent. Well, Maybe by the end of the year, early next year, I'll have a rig. Hey, if you want to buy seven, if you want to buy a used Acuforce steering wheel, hit me up. We'll see. There it is. Well, I haven't uh, done any massive car you? modifications. No, no massive car modifications. I did drive to Rapid City and stopped in the Badlands again with the wife, which was cool. Yes, um, I did drive nice. along the uh, graveled trail. Uh, on the way out to get out of there during the sunset, which was sick. Uh, really cool to like see the ridgeline at sunset. I mean, it was perfect golden hour opportunity. Scooted through there pretty good uh, to make sure we got all the way through the park, oh, which was nice. Um, and then on the way back, we actually stopped at this really cool place in Murdo, South Dakota called Pioneer Auto Show. It's world famous. You can look it up on the interwebs. And they had a bunch of really cool cars. I mean, we're talking... Old Model A's, Model T's. They had um, Mustang convertible, Mustang Coupe Trigger. They had a, a fastback. They had a, a Cougar XR7. Uh, they had a, one of my favorites that I took uh, was the. Uh, they had a Datsun 280ZX, which was sick. Um, but this place is just 
Murdo, South Dakota is like middle of nowhere, South Dakota. And you just walk in and you're like, what is happening? And this is amazing. It's like an antique small, but with cars and it's actually well done and like put together. Um, super well worth it. So that was really fun to go through there and see a bunch of really old cars. Um, but they also had like, he had a, a train station and like an old train car. Uh, he had a, a Lamborghini tractor and a bunch of other old tractors. Cause this Whoa, is the nice. It was sick, dude. It was it was well. Every I mean, we tractor is pretty rare. Yeah, it was a nice like baby blue. I took a picture of it. It was sick. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, it was cool, cool as hell. Yeah, so go out, go through the black, get catch the Badlands at su- at sunset, and then come back and check out a cool little. Just it was a it was kind of like we walked out of there after being in there for a couple hours, and you're like, what sort of strange reality have we come back into? And you still have like three more hours to drive across South Dakota, and, it, and you're just like, okay, well, that was a trip. So it was super cool. Um, gonna have to so, post pictures of that uh, Lamborghini tractor up on our Instagram. Yeah, I definitely will. Um, it was it was cool. So I'll, I'll send that to you guys and get that posted up there. Um, but yeah, lots of cool cars, a lot of fun. If you're ever in South Dakota and you know, bored, I'm sure, I'm sure they're super busy during Sturges and stuff, but this time of year. Oh yeah. How close is that to like, uh, like Waldrug? Um, that's pretty close. So if you look at, uh, Oh wait, I see wall. It's, it's West, uh, it's East of wall and it's West of Chamberlain, which is the middle of that's straight up the middle of South Dakota is Chamberlain where the Missouri river is. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of between those two. There's also an 1880 town somewhere in there. We didn't stop there, but, um, it's, it's pretty close to wall drug. No, it's actually, yeah, it's actually, it looks like it might be like an hour from wall drug, which is nice. It's kind of spaced out. You know, you can stop at Wall Drug, you can stop at Rabbit City, you can stop at Murdo, and not just otherwise. I that that drive across like the first half of South Dakota is kind of brutal. Yeah, so I, Wall Drug's overrated in my opinion. Murdo is well, really cool. Cham- yeah. Chamberlain has the Chamberlain has one of the best rest stops overviews of the Missouri River. I highly recommend Chamberlain rest stop. Uh, and then from there, going east to uh, Sioux Falls through like Mitchell and stuff is really kind of boring. Amberlin to Rapid City is at least decent enough with the hills and like you start getting into some good stuff, obviously, as you get closer to the Badlands. Look, anybody listening that's never been to Wall Drug, you gotta see it. Okay, once. you <laughs> You gotta see it yeah, once. I go get, once, make sure Yeah. Make it's sure a you tourist, have kids. it's a tourist trap. It is. But yeah. you gotta see it once. It's weird. It's it's really odd. There's some history there. It's a tourist trap though, but you gotta see it once. You got to see it once. And, you know, here's the thing, though. If you're getting off the interstate of wall drugs, you're going to be using your brakes. And so let's say you're going 80 miles per hour in South Dakota because 80 is the legal speed limit in South Dakota. You got to slam on your brakes coming off the interstate. What's happening with those brakes? That's what we're talking about today. Master of segues. So uh, (laughs) hold on there. (laughs) So basically what I'm saying is I don't know what's happening with my brakes outside of the fact that they work. And uh, so that I can go check out some cheeky tourist attractions all across South Dakota. But, John, I know that you want to get on your soapbox today. Oh, Lenny, you've got your opinions about breaks and big breaks. Do they lie? That's what I want to know. Do big breaks lie? Guys, I don't, I, I don't know if I have, like, certain opinions that are controversial. Uh, I, I would say that uh, I'm sure I um, have a couple. I've made mistakes, and I've come out the other side of it <laughs> with a new perspective on it. 
Look, I'm just going to, you know, you guys got questions or whatever, please, because this could easily turn into John's PBS session. Uh, so, brakes, Ryan. You don't know, you know, you hit a pedal and magic happens and the car slows down. So we're going to get into it, kids. Um I'm, oh boy. I'm gonna I'm just gonna start from the start. What the hell makes up the braking system? Right? And Lenny, feel free to chime in, but we'll do. Right? So you got the brake pedal. Everybody knows about that. The main components of the brake system are the pedal, which is connected to a master cylinder. The master cylinder has lines that go to each individual wheel, and each individual wheel has a caliper. The caliper has pads on it. The caliper pushes on pads. The pads clamp on a disc, and the disc is the big metal thing you see inside the wheel. In addition, uh, cars will have an ABS system, which is in between the master cylinder and the lines and the calipers. Um, We'll get into ABS a little bit later, but now we're just going to talk basic how brakes work. if you play around with car stuff long enough, you start to realize that there's only so many ways you can design a mechanical system, and a lot of things look very similar. So when I say words like cylinder and piston, I don't want people to like shut their brain off and think I'm using technical jargon. When I say cylinder, I literally mean a round, long, hollow cylinder, like a shape you learned in school. And piston's really a fancy way to say plunger. Um, So basically, you push on the pedal. The pedal is connected to a piston that is inside of a cylinder. Inside that cylinder is filled with brake fluid. So this piston, so when you push the pedal, that's literally pushing a piston through this cylinder. And that piston exerts pressure on all that fluid. Now... Most fluids are incompressible, and don't freak out about that because water is incompressible. And all that means is, if it's incompressible, that means I cannot jam it into a smaller space. It will not change volume. So when I push on this fluid, because I can't change the volume of the fluid, it does not get smaller, what it does is it tries to move and it exerts pressure on the system. So, uh, hold on. Go ahead. You said you said water? I said water is an incompressible fluid, like brake fluid. I just didn't want to say there's an incompressible fluid in the system, and people would be like, what? Like, most fluids are not compressible, meaning you cannot cram them into a smaller volume. But, I mean, there's no water... There's or at least there's not zero, supposed to be any water in there your is zero fluid wa- system. There is zero water in your brake system. I was, Or there's supposed to be. I was just trying to explain to the listener that incompressible fluids are more common than you might think. Yes. Okay. So Sorry. a very common fluid that you're used to would be water. You can't Correct. compress that. Correct. But there is brake fluid in, the, in this cylinder that is pushed on. Basically, your brake pedal is pushing on the thingy that's pushing in the cylinder that's compressing the brake fluid. Right. That's going to be on the other end, being a cylinder. No. So, so what happens is there's the master cylinder is this. It's a cylinder. It's just a round, long tube with brake fluid in it. When you push on it, 
there's holes in the other end of the cylinder. And those holes are what your brake lines are connected to. So when I push on all that fluid, it pushes into the lines, and the lines are all filled with fluid, and so that pressure gets transmitted all the way down the lines to the calipers at the wheel. And when that pr- and the calipers have cylinders inside them with their own little pistons. And so when that fluid pushes on the backs of those pistons in the caliper, they push on the back of a brake pad. And all the brake pad is, is a, it's a, it's like a, it, it goes in between metal parts that shouldn't ever touch. So the brake pad is designed to get worn on. It's designed to get rubbed on. It's usually some kind of, uh, some kind of composite or alloy mixture. Um, and basically it's like, uh, you know, imagine like you grabbing a hamburger, right? The brake pads, so that fluid pushes on the caliper pistons. The pistons exert pressure on the pad, and the pads go chomp, chomp on the disc. And the disc is the big circular metal thing that you see behind your wheels. And the caliper is... Juicy hamburger patty. That's right. It's a juicy a hamburger shiny patty. piece. It's the shiny piece. And then the caliper is the metal piece that's like a little rectangle attached to the disc, and a lot of times on performance cars it'll be bronze or red um and so you gotta look cool and so that those pads chomp on the disc and the disc is spinning with the wheel and it slows the disc down and that is what causes your car to slow down ryan do you have any questions on that well thankfully i have changed the brakes on my own vehicle Okay. More than once. Uh, so I am familiar with bleeding the lines and putting on all of those parts you just described. So your disc rotors, your disc pads, and the caliper. Um, but it's kind of cool to know as well the whole cylinder system that when you push on the brake and then that transfers it through to that system. A pretty simple system, actually, all things considered. It really is. What's special about it is the materials in use and the resistance they have to temperature. That's what makes a braking system kind of exotic compared to, say, like your clutch. Because the piston, the master cylinder, and the slave cylinder, the basic design of that is the same as a brake. It's a piston, it's a cylinder, it's fluid. But what makes brake systems expensive and semi-exotic is the temperatures they're designed to cope with. Because when you rub the pads on a big chunk of metal, things get hot there's no way around that yeah especially when you're consistently using them around a racetrack over and over again so yeah i mean your common day wear and tear on a brake system is going to be obviously a lot different than something like racing around a track or f1 in which you can see them brakes lighting up every single time they take a turn Uh, f1 brakes are totally different from right so let's Let's stick with regular the regular race car brakes, even GT car, right. regular what you drive cars. Let's <laughs> not get into F one insanity here today, though we like to here at zero left. Um, so that makes sense to me. So what is what is this whole thing with big brakes? You two seem to be on different controversial lines. Uh, <laughs> Lenny seems to like big brakes. John, for once, you don't like big. I things. didn't say that. Um, oh, no, no, no. Okay. I didn't say that I like big brakes. Oh, well, I right. cannot lie. You. So what is what is the deal with the big brakes? <laughs> Do they make a difference? I, I we left this very vague, and now I'm thoroughly confused. So so 
Help me out here. I well, I mean, like, go ahead. So I I have what you would consider huge brakes on my GTR. I run R the R the new R thirty five GTR brake package front and rear. So like I have uh, essentially the, in, the entire factory braking uh, calipers, rotors, and brake pads from an R thirty five GTR on my R thirty two. Um, and some might say, actually, probably most might say, and I'm part of that crowd that it's overkill. Uh, it is absolutely not needed. And the reason why I have it is, you know, through a series of fortunate events that I got it for a good price. And at the time, uh, I was tracking the GTR a little bit more uh, seriously, or I was trying to be a little bit more serious with it. And so I was trying to combat that brake fade. Um, that you get from consistent overheating of your brakes and pushing it a little bit too hard. Yeah. But even then, it was not necessary because I was already running a pretty comfortable um, brake package. You had F40s before that, right? Yeah, I had the F40 brake yeah. brakes on it. So, Wait, like the Ferrari F40? Yes. Yeah. It was a common... Like so, Brembo. Yeah, it's a common brake. Yeah, Brembo made the okay. brake system for the Ferrari F40, and later on, uh, the calipers and stuff that Brembo used for that became pretty easily available in the aftermarket. So it's a common um, upgrade on Skylines and quite a few other cars to use F40 brakes. Yeah, they're they're pretty pretty well sized, uh, pretty good package for GTRs. So. Does that yeah, help with the thermals? Does the bigger well, pads then disperse hold, heat better? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. I, one thing I want to, I do want to address if we assume that, you know, casual people that are somewhat interested in cars are mainly the people listening and not <laughs> like super nerds. Okay. I just want to dispel the myth big brakes don't make you stop any faster. If you're agreed, yeah. If your stopping distance is a hundred feet from X miles per hour, and you put on a big ass brake kit, your stopping distance is going to be a hundred feet with the big brake kits. And anybody that tells you otherwise is full of it. Gotcha. And the reason why is what determines how fast you can stop is the friction and the traction in your tires. So if your brake system is capable of locking up your tires, which is if a tire locks up, you've exceeded the amount of torque available to your tire. You can't lock up the tire anymore. So The only reason why you would ever lock up your tires is because you've exceeded the threshold of braking. Yeah, you've exceeded the threshold of friction. That's it. That's it. Your tires are locked up. So the only way... They're all done. Yeah, it's not because of the brake package that you're using. It's because of human error, operator error. And maths, basically. Right. Physics. Math, yeah. And so the only way that a big brake kit would, would make you stop faster is if you had so much traction that your brake system was not capable of locking the tires up. Um, maybe if you have an old piece of crap, that might come into play. Or if you're building some kind of world time attack car that's 1,000 pounds and has old brakes and you have... 305 section R compound tires with old single piston calipers. Maybe those won't lock up, but any modern car 
Um, if you can lock the tires up or cycle the ABS, because the ABS only kicks on when the tires are exceeding their limits of traction, uh, if you can do that, big brakes won't make you stop faster. But what do they do? A big brake package, so a big caliper disc, or I'm sorry, a big brake disc has a lot more mass to it. It's a, it's a literally a hunk of iron. That means it can absorb more energy before it overheats. That means okay. that there's less, because there's more thermal mass in the disc, there's less heat energy being transferred to your b- brake fluid. Brake fluid has a finite boiling point. When brake fluid boils, you don't stop. So what a big brake kit does is it increases the amount and the severity of braking events that your car can sustain. What I'm getting at is, if you've never gone down a mountain pass or a racetrack and faded your brakes, and you know you're fading your brakes because the pedal will sink to the floor and the car won't do anything when you press it, you don't need a big brake kit. Yeah, and that's and that's really the only reason why I... Well, one of the only reasons why I, I upgraded further from the F40s to these this uh, R35 brake kit because in a few laps on Fuji and and as you guys uh, could see by evidence of our F1 times which I'm still leading on by the way blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, uh, I like I like to run a, a few hot laps you know and and really get down my time um, and so I do that in real life as well or I was doing that in real life at, at one point um, and I was getting some brake fade and I could tell you it is absolutely terrifying going down Fuji straight at almost, you know, 180, 165, 175 miles an hour. But then, like, braking, braking, and then all of a sudden, no brakes because, you know, you were doing a hot lap just the one before. You know, everything's on a, a time session, so you're trying to maximize, you know, your track time and such. So, yeah, brake yeah. fade is 100% terrifying. The pedal just that sounds terrifying. sinks to the floor, and the car isn't really stopping effectively. Um, so you, but, you know, especially with a lot of modern cars that have huge discs, especially if you get a performance car, they already have huge discs. They already have multi-piston calipers and stuff. Um, a lot of times, especially with modern performance cars, you probably just need to get a more aggressive pad compound and higher temperature fluid, and you can skip the actual brake upgrade altogether. Um, I, yeah, I was able to experience a little bit of fade, on stock GTR brakes, I have a little bit smaller kit than Lenny's, uh, but I got an Alcon three fifty five millimeter kit, and I've never faded the brakes. I've cooked pads, but I haven't been able to actually fade the brakes. Um, so the fluid itself, the brake fluid you choose, does make a big difference. Huge. That's essentially heating up. Huge. I mean, difference. if you're going, if we're going for the track application of of Brake fluids. What you should be looking for is um, the dry boiling point, not necessarily the wet tr- boiling point. Because you're tracking a car, you're most likely going to be changing the brake fluid right before that session. And so there's not going to be any sort of water absorption in the hose or in the fluid from it being old, because that does happen from you know. Um, I'm in the system, water, just natural water resorption into the system itself. So that's that's what you should be looking for, just 
for those looking out there. Dry boiling tap for the new brake fluid on track days. Yeah. So what about normal driving though? Well, so so brake fluid is hygroscopic. That's what that's the word. It basically means that it naturally absorbs water. So yeah. if you take a bottle of brake fluid and open it and leave the top off and just let it sit there, that brake fluid after a day or two is no good. And that's why people tell you after three or five years or whatever under normal usage, you should change your brake fluid because it will naturally absorb water. Um, and when it does, water boils at substantially, you know, most brake fluid, I think, poor people fluid boils at like 400 degrees Celsius. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, in, <laughs> most enthusiast brake fluid boils uh, around six, five to six hundred degrees Celsius. Um, water boils at a hundred degrees Celsius, so you can think about you know as the percentage of water goes up, the boiling point of the brake fluid as a system is going to go down. Um, and when it boils, you get air in the system. Air is compressible, unlike fluid. Um, and that's why your pedal sinks to the ground because you're pushing on this fluid and you're just compressing air instead of moving yeah. your pistons. There's like a yeah. gap basically of air. Exactly. That you're on. Yeah. There's a gap that you are pushing through. So that's why there's no tension on the pedal when that happens. Makes sense. Yep. Simple system. Very, very simple. Simple in its complexity. Um, oh, yeah. Like uh, another thing about big big brakes or like big rotors big calipers um i feel like there's a misconception in like the bigger the caliper the more the the biting the bite you'll get yeah bite, yeah so in yeah engineering brake true. systems not yeah. necessarily engineering brake systems can get pretty interesting um because you know i've dabbled with some manual brake systems so Normally, you have what's called a power booster, and that's hooked up to your engine, and it gets vacuum, and that lowers. I won't get into the specifics of it, but it basically lowers the amount of effort that you have to put into the pedal to stop. All passenger cars have a power boost system. A lot of race cars don't. And when you do that, you have to design the amount of leverage on the brake pedal and select the master cylinder appropriately to get enough leverage to physically push the brake pedal um mm. if anyone's ever driven a car with the booster out or an old car with manual brakes you know what i'm talking about it takes a lot more leg <laughs> you have to really put some effort into pushing the brake pedal to get it to stop um so when lenny's talking about calipers the size of calipers and the number of pistons play a part and sometimes if you get a big brake kit on an otherwise stock brake system the pedal can feel like ass if you don't size the caliper piston sizes appropriately for the master cylinder size and the lever, the lever ratio on the brake pedal itself. Um, what big brake kits can do though, if you get a bigger disc that increases the leverage the caliper has, because if you, it's like when you're playing, uh, when you're doing it on like a seesaw and you got a fat kid, the fat kid has to scoot up. And the, <laughs> right and the skinny kid can be further out on the seesaw and, the, and they'll balance so if you get a big brake disc and the caliper is way out it's further away from the center of the wheel on this big disc it has more effective leverage 
But like we mentioned before, if you can lock up the brakes, that doesn't necessarily help you. But it can improve. Mm. It can improve pedal feel if you're looking for a certain level of effort on the pedal. Sometimes having more leverage at the caliper can reduce that the amount of leg effort you need to get the same amount of force at the brakes. But that's really minutiae, fine tuning kind of stuff. Um, for average people, the most important thing after the stuff we've already talked about would probably be pad selection. And one thing you need to look at if you're getting into a car and taking it to the track is what kind of pads to run because pads that work on a daily driver and pads that work on a track car are completely different. Um, Mm -hmm. Because besides boiling your brake fluid, you can also cook the pads. So if I put on really high temp fluid on stock brake pads, I can keep my fluid from boiling, but I might overheat the pads and that causes the compound on the pads to break down and then they get greasy and then it's an opposite sensation. Instead of getting soft and falling to the floor, the pedal will stay really stiff and high, but the car doesn't stop because the pads aren't exerting any useful friction on the disc. Interesting. Yeah, and the other folly that people do is with their daily driver they go get really aggressive track pads and that might be why you see a performance car going down the road going because <laughs> aggressive uh aggressive pads if they don't get up to temperature don't work so you have to don't get work. them up to temperature and they squeak and sound terrible and they shoot brake dust everywhere if they're cold oh. so don't have those in the winter in nebraska yeah, yeah. Usually what people do is they have a set of pads for the track, and when they go to the racetrack, they swap brake pads. Swap them. Okay. So I, I guess for the more daily driver applications, I, I have a couple questions here too with in regards to the amount of pressure required to brake. Because, I mean, I, I, I have that experience as well with the sim rig. But, for example, my 07 Honda Odyssey has a lot more give to how much control you have on your left on the braking versus all these newer rentals I have are a lot stiffer set up. The amount of like where the break point is almost, it changes. I mean, is that something you're talking about sort of like the minutia of changing that, but like what if I want to make my older car have a stiffer brake setup or is it just gone because it's an older car? Mm, here's a lot of old cars. So through the nineties and maybe even early two thousands, um, a lot of cars had really low-performance brake systems. Like, now multi-cylinder calipers and stuff, or multi-piston calipers and stuff are pretty common. Back in the 90s, pretty much everything was single-piston. And um, a lot of times, it took a lot of lever deflection to get any useful work out of the brake system. So that's why a lot of older cars just kind of... Like, I mean, you could have air in the line, or it could be old and need to be bled or something like that. That's possible. But a lot of times, um, you know, cars now are a lot tighter. You know, a lot of times the, the, the systems back then were over-boosted, which meant there's too much boost assist, and the cylinders were too small, and they were just trying to make the pedal really easy to press. Why, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's why it just kind of feels like trash, and I think car design okay. in the last 20 years has come a long way of just making the general setup feel tight. 
Yeah, it's just definitely a little bit looser on that. And I, I think uh, Jeremy Subaru, which is a little bit older too from the early aughts, has that same sort of more give to it. You got to really, if you put some umph into it, you'll get full brake force. But otherwise, like where it starts to apply a good amount of pressure and braking isn't necessarily as soon as these newer cars that I'm in. So that makes sense. And then another thing too, obviously talking about winter coming up and something that people are a fan of is uh, obviously ABS. Um, because yes, you get a tire lockup when you drive fast. It also happens in the ice and snow. Um, so what's what does the ABS look like? How does it help? Because you're saying, okay, I've locked out my brakes. ABS kind of helps prevent that happening because obviously if you ever have driven in icy conditions, most people tend to slam on the brakes. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> how does that kind of system come into play, especially with these newer cars? Almost everything seems stance. Well, yeah, new cars have ABS by law now. Like, you have mm. to. Um, what ABS is, is it's a computer and a pump in the brake line, and it has sensors on the front and rear wheels. And when ABS, when that computer detects that the front wheels are spinning slower than the rear wheels, which means that, like, because the, the front wheels have more uh, leverage at the brake pedal, so they'll lock up first. So when it senses a differential in the speed, meaning a, a wheel has stopped, it has a pump that will cycle the brakes. So it will actually release the brakes and allow them to grab again. Um, and it does that very quickly, like milliseconds. It does it many times per second. Um, to, so, And the idea is that uh, if you have manual brakes and you lock it up and you just hold the pedal down, then your brakes are going to stay locked up and you're boned. With ABS, all you have to do is just jam the pedal down and the ABS is going to figure it out for you. Um, which How is, convenient and yeah, safe. Right, which is why from a driver, you know, kind of toxic enthusiast standpoint, people are like, ABS isn't for real drivers. And, you know, there's – I deleted the ABS on my GTR – because I still have ABS on mine. Yeah, Interesting. There's, okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It it does. Um, the new, newer systems are a lot better at it. Older systems, it actually made the pedal a lot more spongy, um, and that's purely the reason why I deleted it on my GTR was just, just to get a stiffer pedal out of it. Um, gotcha. But it takes. Uh, you know. You have to have a bigger brain. It takes a lot more sensitivity in your foot because when you lock it up, you need to be able to like release and then reapply quickly for max performance. But um, with big brain driving over here, yeah, big brain driving. Um, it it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it though. If you're in a panic stop, you just just leg to the floor. Right, car stops. Hooray. The, that makes sense. The other thing it allows is, you know, most passenger cars modulate the pedal by displacement, like how far you move the pedal. Mm. A performance car is going to modulate the pedal by pressure. So if you ever got in a real race car and pressed the brake pedal, it would feel like the pedal didn't actually move. Um, and you're going to find, huh. yeah, and you're going to find the lockup point by how much pressure you're exerting from your leg. It sounds crazy, but it's actually a lot easier to find the the 
point of like ultimate break force before lockup through pressure, you have more sensitivity to that than you do travel through space. Um, so what that does is it's a lot more work, right? It's, it's more tiring. It's more taxing and takes a lot more mm. concentration, but it allows you to find the edge of traction a lot easier. So passenger cars are just trying to make it easier for the person, um, to just, you know, sit there and like check their phone and, and crap while they're driving and eat a hamburger or whatever. <laughs> um, so they make the pedal effort super easy. Uh, whereas on a, on yeah. a performance car, the pedal is typically going to be a lot stiffer. It's going to take a lot more effort, even just come to a normal stop, but the limits are a lot easier to find. Um, so it's just kind of a difference in theory and application. Very cool. Well, have I beat that's, that up? <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, I think I know a lot more about brakes than I did uh, a little bit ago here. Big brakes don't make a difference. Uh, Outside of heat dispersion, no, they they can apply more heat. Daily drivers doesn't matter, but they they, yeah, they do help disperse with the heat. more heat. Yeah, thermal. Okay. Excellent. Get pads that are meant for what you're gonna do, and uh, ultimately Don't tire choice. Braking fluid. Braking fluid, pads for what you're gonna do, and uh, tires ultimately make a big difference, folks. Uh, so get good tires. Tires are tires god. Are what, yeah. Tires we gotta talk stop about your car. we gotta talk about tires soon because we've 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 gone over the importance of tires a multitude of times. So we're almost there, folks. We're at the brakes now. Well, I mean, yeah, tires apply. So not to get into about it. tires is coming up. Yeah, tire, not to get into it, but tires matter for everything. You want to stop faster, tires. You want to turn better, tires. You want to go faster, tires. That's tires. Period. For tires. 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 Tires, folks. Well. I don't know what type of tires this quirky car Lenny has lined up for us has. Um, probably uh, if you put special. some some track tires on this quirky car, holy moly! Ooh, so it's a fast car. Okay, that's uh, that sounds fun. So uh, let's go over the rules of uh, engagement here. Rules of engagement of the uh, of the game. When I was, uh, I was John, can you? Uh, introduce us to the, the rules as ah, you yes. are the normal moderate moderator. So ladies and gentlemen, today we go back to playing What I Wish I Was Driving. It's essentially a game of 20 questions. Uh, we're mixing it up with Lenny picking the car this time instead of me, but basically Ryan and I are going to ask 20 yes or no questions, uh, the last of which is the car itself to try and figure out what car Lenny is thinking of. If we guess the wrong car early, the game is over, and... Uh, Lenny gave us one small hint, and I would like to ask, real quick, are you guys going to allow my funny multi-category questions? Or are there, there it is. I, I'm, you get I'm, one. I'm trying to play nice, so I'm asking up front. I, I think we allow give one, you one after question 10. Okie doke. Uh, and, okay. Yep. All right. I'll give you yeah. one. You'll give, give me you one. one. I'm not going to use it just yet, but... Uh, um, and, and before and before we start, uh, I will say this is a generational car pick. So we do Ooh, have to care. guess the gin. Yes. Copy. All right. Generation so matters. With do that, you have to guess the gin. Ryan, you want to take the first question? Is it a Japanese car? Yes. Woo! Nice. Boom. Out the That'll gate. Ship. All right. I'm going to use my funny question then. Oh, there it is. Yep, yep, yep. Is this a Nissan, Toyota, or Honda? 
Yes. Ooh. Oh, it's it's our favorite club of three. From the JDM, you see. All right, this is a Nissan, a Toyota, or a Honda. Well done. And it's, yes. It's, <laughs> and it's quirky. Like it's delightfully quirky. They all it made sounds some... like a Nissan. Um, you know, I have an idea of what he might be going for, and I think it might be a Toyota. Oh, Lenny, is this a Toyota? No. Ooh. All right. All right. Is it a Nissan? No. All right. Oh. So it's a Honda. Ooh. All right. All right. So we don't need to ask if it's a Honda. We know it's a Honda. We already know um, that. Yeah. Thanks to your quirky question. Yeah. Lenny, was this car... Was the original, like the the first model year of this car, was it before 1990? No. Okay. Post-1990. Uh... Lenny, is this car front-wheel drive? No. Ooh. I took out a lot of Hondas. I took out a lot of Hondas. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lenny, Are we this, doing that? Does this, does this car have a four-cylinder engine? No. Okay. Uh, question. Yeah. Is Honda that's, and Acura considered eight. the same here since we're talking Japanese? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm just wondering. I was number eight. Well, we haven't asked eight yet. We, we haven't asked eight. I was just trying. We've asked. Since we're talking. Oh, was... Is that a question? Uh, hold on. Hold no. On, hold on, well, hold on. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm talking to John here. Hold yeah, on. Yeah. It just came to mind, so I had to bring it up. The whole Acura, Lenny, Honda, Lexus, Lenny, was this was this car was this car sold in the USDM market? No. So it was not sold in the United States. Okay, Lenny, was the original was this car made in the nineties? Yes. Okay. At the jet. Are you specifically asking if the generation we're looking for is made in the 90s, John? I just asked if it was made in the 90s, period, and he said yes. Okay. So we know the original model year was not made in 1989, and we know it was made in the 90s. So it could be a 2000 transitional car, but... um... Hmm. Oh, this is... This is is not Jeopardy. Hold on. It's a Honda that doesn't have a four-cylinder. Not front wheel drive. Uh, Lenny's uh, car mid engined. It is. Yeah. Wait, is this? This could be an NSX. It could be. Yeah, but the NSX was sold in America. As an Acura. It, or it might be like a limited edition. <sighs> what the hell? Gee. Hold on a what the second. Hell? What? And it's fast if you put if you put racing stuff on it, which we all know the NSX is hella fast. <laughs> so, so is it a limited um, run NSX? So then we're near, then it's like okay, I bet I'm out of the water. Hold here. on, I might know this. 
Oh, I might know this. Maybe. Should we narrow this down a little bit more? Um, you guys are at 10 questions. Next yeah, one's 11. Is the generation matters too, because then there's the new NSX and then there's the old NSX, but there's got to be some sort of one-off. Is Hold on. I'm I'm entering my mind palace here. The mind oh, palace. Lenny, is this car considered a um oh, I hope I'm not mispronouncing this. A K car? Yes. Ah, I think I know it. Uh Ooh. All right, so for for those of you that don't know, a K car. A K car is Japan's special uh category of very small, small displacement vehicles that were designed to like beat insurance prices and stuff. Um, so they're, they're minis. Um, oh God. And we have to guess the generation. Yes, sir. Uh... Oh, K A E I K E I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lenny, is this car a convertible? There is a convertible option. Just an option? Oh, no. I'm sorry. My mistake. It is a convertible. Yes. Excellent. Um, convertible K car... With a mid-engine. I don't think... What sort, of, what sort of quirky car is this, Lenny? All right. So, Ryan... Gotta figure it out. I think this is a Honda Beat. But to, <laughs> my, to my knowledge, there weren't multiple generations of the Beat. Uh... Uh... Lenny, was this car produced in the 2000s at all? The successor to the car that I'm talking about was produced in the 2000s. Okay. Or should I say is? To which I think he's thinking about the Honda S660, which was the update to the beat that came a while later. Um, mm. isn't the S two thousand a uh, convertible? Is this the same kind of like well ch- chassis design idea? Then no, because the S two thousand is a full size car. It's a four cylinder engine, and it's not mid okay. Gotcha. So, so we're at fourteen. I'm, uh, I'm correct. Uh, we are on question fourteen. Yes. Uh, Lenny, was this car? Was the bodywork? Designed by a famous Italian designer, namely Pininfarina. Yes, it was. Okay. It's got to be a beat. I, I think the generational question he's <laughs> which is which is funny because kind of so was the NSX. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the NSX was not a K car. 
Yeah, that'd be funny if the NSX was a K car. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Lenny's talking about generation because he didn't want us to guess this S660. That's what I think he's doing here. Okay. Um, I just found a mini NSX. What else could I ask about this to narrow it down? Uh, I don't. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what else I could ask about this daggone car. I, I'm almost at the point. I don't know. I'm just saying, screw Is it. Do I shoot well, the J? Well, yeah, but it's okay. So, what, I mean, what's the differentials between the Beat and this S660 we're talking about? What's, I mean, the S660 we... came out well into the 2000s. Like, they stopped making anything like the, the Beat. Beat for, like, 10, 20 years. Okay. Um, and then that was, that was kind of that, uh, all, mm. I think this is the only, I think this is the only K car that like kind of performance K car that Honda was really messing with. I think the rest of them were all just like econo Wait. boxes. We know this car was not made in the two thousands at all. Correct. Was that, was that he said the successor was. Which means that this car yeah, was I only said the around successor in the 90s. was made in 2000s. Which the or in this millennium. The beat, successor to the beat would be the S660, right? Correct. It's a spiritual successor, yeah. It's got to be the beat then. Is it? Um, you're saying the beat was only made in the 90s? Was the beat not? The beat wasn't made in the 2000s. We know this car wasn't right. made in the 2000s. It, Lenny was the. Not counting successors, spiritual successors, and BS like that, was this actual car, was there only one generation of it? Yes. Ah! I think I got it, dude. All right. Which I, I guess you could say, I guess you could say yes. Uh, through, through your line of thinking, through the conversation that I'm also... Is there uh, multiple chassis codes? Is that what you're yeah. basically asking? I have no idea if the beat technically has multiple chassis codes i'm sure they made slight upgrades or modifications from year to year not enough but not enough to give it different chassis codes i would have to that's a one-off i would have to hit the internet to really know if they okay chassis codes. do you still have five questions do you want to ask that ask them or do- uh, but i don't know enough about the beat without cheating for those questions to be of any use uh does this car have a turbo no. Which checks out. The Beat did not have a turbo. Unlike the other performance K cars, they mostly all did. The Beat did not. You guys, Honda. Yeah, that's a Honda. Oh, well, what, uh, what else can we do to narrow it down? <sighs> Bro, I think we got to shoot the friggin' J. All right. Shoot the J! I do this one because I never get to do them. Go ahead. Yeah. Ask him if it was the, yeah, the original Honda Beat. Yeah, is this is this the original Honda Beat? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got yes! it. This Let's is. Go. Let's go. What I wish I was driving. Uh, Honda, 1991 apparently. to 1996 Honda Beat. It was a two door roadster. It did have a hardtop option, which was my bad. I, I kind of confused myself on that one, uh, but <laughs> only in the aftermarket. It was transverse mid engine rear wheel drive. It featured a six. 156 cc or 40 cubic inch 
engine inline three cylinder with a multi-throttle response engine control system, which was uh, later used in other um, normal road-going K cars. Uh, it produced 63 horsepower at 8,100 RPM, which was uh, it's pretty impressive for that sort of uh, little uh, engine. Yeah, and that is but impressive. It was limited to a speed of eighty-four miles an hour, so <laughs> need to be a, it, it needs to it needs a, a little bit of a modification to really be able to be enjoyed here in the states. I think. Well, what is impressive about that is the competitors it was going up against, like the Cappuccino and the Suzuki. They all made the same horsepower. I'm sorry, the cap the Cappuccino, which is made by Suzuki, and the AZ1 by Mazda. Uh, they all made the same horsepower, but the other two were turbocharged. Same displacement, yep. and the Honda made the same horsepower. Silly. Um, and I, I said it was fast because uh, put you know a good set of tires on it, and it will run the toe better than you know most cars out there. Surprisingly, that's pretty. Silly. At least on the downhill. Yeah, that wouldn't be a very good uphill. I as as evidenced by I think initial D I think initial D like kind of made that a thing with the bead and the cappuccino. Yeah, I can get the beat in the uh, in the old sim rig there on a GT Sport. So guess what I'll be driving this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Let you know. I uh, uh, I love K cars so much. Awesome. They're so yeah, they were cool. Yeah, they're I yeah. Think this, little death traps, but they're so neat. This uh, this AutoZam AZ one <laughs> looks looks amazing. I love it. That would probably be cool. my pick. Would be the AZ one personally. Uh, That's pretty dope. I've I've uh, helped somebody acquire one of the rarer uh, AZ ones back in Japan. He, I think cool. he he imported it, and I think it's uh, he lives up in Seattle now. It's the M1025, I think what it's called, John. If yeah. You want, if you guys want to Google that really quick, <coughs> it's it's pretty pretty awesome in terms of um, Japanese homages to rally. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah one of, cool I think it's one it. of twenty five is what I what what he bought. It was really rare. Yeah. The, the Wild. I think it's ten fifteen. The, yeah. Ten fifteen. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ten fifteen yeah. M two or something. It's got like M two ten fifteen. Yep. Yeah, that looks dope. Really cool looking the cars. AZ, the, yeah, the AutoZam 1 M2 1015. Yeah. Uh, if I could do well, anything, I would do the Mazda Speed version of the AZ1. But anyway, we're getting off track. Yeah. Hey, cars are cool. Good uh, pick, guys. Good yeah, pick. You, you almost almost stumped you. Good tires on them. Uh, I'm glad to know that this week uh, Lenny is going to get rid of his Nissan and get a Honda. Um, oh, you never know. Always, always makes me happy. So... <laughs> <laughs> I like the H. So that's been another episode of Zero Left, you guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we do appreciate you. Um, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any questions, let us know. Shout out to Ken. He did leave us a voicemail. I don't know how he did that, but he did. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Ken, thanks for uh, reaching out uh, with the voicemail. So that's been another episode of Zero Left. Uh, keep it pinned. We'll see you next time. Love you, kids. Peace.